love. And when we talk about this love, it is a sacrificial love. Let me just tell you today that love is not an emotion. The love that the Bible talks about is not an emotion. The love that the world talks about is an emotion. It is erotic love. Erotica. That's the world love. It is mentioned in, Hebrew, in Greek, but it is built around emotion. How do you feel? They make it romantic. They say if you want this kind of love, you put on candles and you make it all romantic. And then the world says we fall into love. Have you, have you heard that? I fell into love. How can you fall into love? Yes, you can fall into love if it is an emotional thing. And then when people grow apart from each other and they marry because they fell into love and now they separate, what is the easiest thing to say? If you fall into love... You fall out of love, isn't it? And you can't do that if it's emotional. But the Bible do not teach that kind of love. The love that the Bible teaches is a decision. You decide whether you love or not. Take Jesus Christ, for instance. Did He just emotionally fall into a decision to go to the cross? The first blows that were upon him will make him to fall out of that love and to decide not to go to the cross. But because he made the decision to go to the cross, for you and for me, he went to the cross. So let it not be confused what love is. The love of the world and the love of God. The love of God is agape love. It's not erotical love. It is Agape, which means it's a sacrificial love. It means that everything I've got, I sacrifice. All of my possessions. All of what I am. My life. No wonder that Paul cries out in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, he says that we have to give our bodies as a living sacrifice. So love is a decision. Peter, Peter, do you love me? Of course, Lord, you know that I love you. Peter, Peter, do you agape me? That's what he says there. Agape means, did you sacrifice everything? Yes, Lord, I filio you. Filio you is a brotherly love. Yes, I am connected to you. No, no, no. That's not good enough. You need to sacrifice, Peter. Ask him a second time. Of course you know I filio you. Ask him a third time. Then the penny drops and he goes, Lord, you know everything. I haven't sacrificed. Have you sacrificed everything? If not, he will continue. The Holy Spirit will continue coming to you and ask the same question. Have you sacrificed everything? Now, as we're going to continue now looking at the early church in the book of Acts, we see this now playing out. We're going to see now this absolutely act of love. You see, my brother, I didn't plan to open the sermon like this, but when you spoke about love at the table, that was the perfect entry into what I'm going to preach today about. And that is the love that needs to come in. You see, when the Lord saves your soul, we all say, the Bible say that you're a new creation. The old things have passed away. You are operating in a new creation. Things change. You can't be saved and you stay the same. 
There is something that changes inside of you that people who knew you before you were saved looked at you and they say, I can't believe that's the same man, that's the same woman. There's something drastically that had to happen. And this is evident. It needs to be evident in the fruit. Everybody say fruit. You're going to hear a lot about it today. The fruit that you bear. And one of those fruit that you bear is love, is sacrifice, is giving everything. Let's pick this up in Acts chapter 4, verse 32. Now the multitude of those who believed, we call them now the church, the early church, those who believed were of one heart and of one soul. Of one heart and of one soul. How could it be that over 5,000 people have one heart? How could it be? Well, there's only one way that it could be. All of them had a heart operation. And in all of them, the same heart were transplanted into them. Is that right? It's the heart of God. He came and He saved their souls. He gave them a new heart. You're a new creation. They were all of one heart and of one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things they possess was His own, but they had all things in common. You see? Sacrifice. This is love. This is part of the definition of love. They sacrificed. They had all things in common. And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. I love this. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds to things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet and they distributed to each as anyone had need. This is an amazing thing. This is something that happened in their day and age, which you look at it, and you would say there is something drastically that happened in these people's lives. Would you agree with that? Well, whether you agree or not, that's true. That's what happened. If you look at it from the outset, you go, what is going on with these people? They had land and they sold it. They had houses and they sold it and they brought all of that and laid it down at the apostles' feet. And what did the apostles do with those? Did they buy themselves jets? To say now uh, Apostle Peter has got two jets and he's going to buy a third one. And Apostle John, you've only got one jet. And maybe James, you've got a jet. And let's build all of these, you know, farms and everything. No, no. They took those that came in, didn't belong to them. It belonged to whom? It belonged to God. Because this is the reason why they sold it. They brought it forward and they laid it down at the apostles' feet. And we see an amazing thing that the apostles did. They took some of those, and not some, they took it all. They walked into these beaks, all of a sudden big church, and they start giving to everything what they need. Now I know that there's some people who say that that's the start of communism. Socialism, which is not. That's not what it is. You can't come to the Bible and find socialism in the Bible. You can't find it anywhere. 
But this is an amazing thing that happened. What we see here demonstrating in front of our eyes is what I call the fruit of repentance in action. The fruit of repentance in action. That is what we see. That's a, a vivid, a physical play out in front of us to see that once God comes into somebody's heart truthfully, that there's something that is generated inside and you start bearing different fruit. You start operating in a way that people don't understand. They go, surely there's something that must have happened. What happened? We all know what happened. They are new creations. They are born again. They are sacrificing their bodies as living sacrifice. They are sacrificing their possession for the common good of everybody. These are all fruit of repentance. And this is the stuff that needs to happen. You know, sometimes I look at people who call themselves Christians, and you look at their before days, before the cross. You know, when they lived or for themselves, when they lived riot lives, before the cross, and then they say, oh, one day we were sitting there, and they made an altar call, and I went out, and I said a two-minute prayer, and now I'm saved, and you say, that was surely the cross. Something had to change. But then you look at their lifestyle, and you look at their life after the cross, the after days, and the lifestyle there is exactly the same lifestyle that's after the cross. And no doubt, no wonder the world looks at this and goes, if that is what happens when I come to the cross, and that is the same, I don't want any of that. What is the big word they cry out to the church then? It starts with an H. Hypocrites! Isn't that right? Your own family members. They know you. They grew up with you. They saw you when you did all of those naughty things. And then one day you walk into a, into a place, a big place, a two-minute prayer, and now you go out to the family and everybody, and you say, whoa, I'm saved and everything. And now all of the eyes is upon you. They're looking at you now. And if your life hasn't changed, if there's no fruit of repentance, what do they say? Starts with an H. Hypocrite. And they will come to you and say, don't tell me about this new life. If this is what it is, I don't want any of that. But here we see a church and we start learning something that happens once the Holy Spirit comes in and lives inside of you. So where does all of this fruit of repentance start? We have to go back to the book of Luke. We have to go back to John the Baptist. Because this is the first time that we read about this. Now no doubt that John, Luke writes about John the Baptist here in Luke chapter 3. And John was preaching to Jews. Remember this. He was preaching to Jews. So when he says that repentance here and the baptism of John is not the same baptism that we have today. I just want to make that point clear. But we've got the privilege to go back into the Gospels and apply that to our lives. You with me now? So we find John the Baptist is busy baptizing. There's a lot of people that comes to him. All of a sudden, this man appears after 400 years of the silent years, a man who looks like a prophet, and the Jews were looking around because there was this big promise back in the Old Testament about the prophet that was going to come. You remember that? In the form of Moses. This prophet was going to come amongst them. 
For 400 years they didn't have it. They had the Maccabees and they had all of these. But the voice of God is called silent. Although he was still operating. And all of a sudden this man appears out of the wilderness. He looks like a prophet. John the Baptist. He walks in and he starts baptizing people. And out of the blue all of these people come to him. There is sort of, you can call it a mini revival amongst the Jews. God is going to speak to us now. And when he saw them, what is the first thing he say? Your brood of vipers. Oh, that is not nice to say. If I'm coming into the church and start preaching and call you all brood of vipers, who will come back next week? He didn't care. You see, for them it wasn't all about what people think. It was about what the message of God is. And it's as long as we stay in that, the word of God will be safe and in spirit and in truth. So they come out and then they come to him and he start baptizing and they ask him the people. Look at this, Luke chapter 3 verse 10. He says, so the people asked him saying, what shall we do then? Come on, John. He answered and said to them, he who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. You see, he said to them there in verse 10, he, uh, verse 8, he says, bear fruit of repentance. And now he's going into how the fruit looks. But it starts with repentance. Let it be known. You can't bear this fruit before you come to the cross. It's only after the cross that you can bear this fruit. He says, if one has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. Give it to him. Don't sell it to him. Don't lend it to him. It doesn't belong to you. Give it to him. It is his possession. That is what love is. You sacrifice what is yours and you give it to somebody else for free. And then he says there, let him who has food do likewise. And what is he dealing with? He's dealing with selfishness. He's dealing with giving compassion. What do you do when you see somebody struggle? You see, this is the selfishness that the world teaches us. It's all about me, myself, and I. I need to study really hard to make a life, to build me a nice house, and it's all my possessions. And I'm going to invite all of my friends and put out all of my best stuff to show them what I have achieved. I have done a lot. Least do you know that everything you've got belongs to God and it's because of His grace that you've got a faculty up there to can think and to do all these things that everything belongs to Him. He can take it away within one heartbeat. Yes? In one heartbeat what you've worked so long for belongs now to your children and to whomever. So let it be known that this is a wonderful thing. He says, give away, give away tunic to those who do not have. And then, the tax collectors came to him and say, they wanted to be baptized, and they said to him, teacher, what shall we do? Oh, these tax collectors. Do you, do you love the tax collectors? These days, people don't. But back in those days, they, they were despised. They were not, you know, the people which you invite to your residence. No, these people, if you see them, you don't want to talk to them. But they came to him, and instead of saying to them, you should change your job, yeah, honestly, come on, change your job, get another job. 
The tax collectors came to him and they say, what shall we do? He doesn't say that. He says, collect no more than what is appointed to you. And that deals with dishonesty and theft. This is how it applies to us. If you look upon yourself, are you bearing that fruit already? That if you've got plenty that you give? That if you steal and are dishonest with people, that now, after you've come to the cross, before you did all of these things, you were selfish, dishonest, thieving, now you come to the cross, after the cross, you cannot, must not, conduct yourself in those things anymore. If you still see those things happening in your life, then you are not bearing the fruit of repentance. And then the soldiers came to him. It is amazing he's got two, three groups of people here. And they come to him, the soldiers, and they say, what shall we do? Everybody wants to know what to do now. And he goes, yes, that's good, I've got an answer for you. He says, do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely. Oh, don't a lot of people do that today? Do you know some people, as I mentioned these words, that the names jump up to you? Are you one of those? Are you one of those? And be content with your wages. Everybody say content. You know what I hear these days? is a lot of outcry of discontentment. You know, be content with your wages. And there he deals with control and with discontentment. With control. Control is one of the things that a lot of people love, especially in the church. Once you come into the church and you say, Oh, I've got a special line to God. God speaks to me. And whatever I say, thus says the Lord, you better believe what I say. No, no, no. It, anything you say to me, I test it to the Word of God. doesn't matter where it comes from. It needs to be tested by the Word of God. Control. Discontentment. Lying. Selfishness. You see, all of these things happen before you come to Christ. We all were there. We all operated in that. No, no good anybody in this place come and say, yes, keep on preaching it because now you're preaching to my wife or to my husband or to my brother or to my sister or to this group of people who work with me. No, no. The Word of God is always you look into your own heart. See, this is what I come back to. In all of this, if you wrap them around and put a bow on it, the bow that's coming over this is the word love. It is sacrifice. You need to sacrifice something. You need to sacrifice your life. You need to sacrifice your possessions. I know what you're thinking in your head. You say, oh, preacher, are you telling us that we all need to sell our houses now and bring you the money? No, I don't want your money. I don't want your houses. Hang in there. So we see here the outpour of the fruit. We saw now in Acts that they sold their lands, they sold their houses, they brought it to the apostles, and they started distributing in amongst them. But I want to show you practically how this applies. We all remember Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, don't you? I've given this verse to so many people in my life. They go through a difficult time. Somebody might have lost a job. Somebody's going through financial difficulties. Where is the very first verse you think of? Matthew chapter 6. Why? Remember also that Jesus was talking here to Jews. 
There were no Gentiles in the crowd. He was giving it to his people, to the Jewish people sitting around. And he spoke to them one day. He says, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. I need to preach a sermon about that one day, yes? The biggest problem in people's lives today is worry. Because worry produces anxiety, angst. And angst and anxiety produces fear, and fear kills faith in a child of God's life. You want to hear that again? Worry produces anxiety, produces fear, and that kills faith. You can't have fear and faith in the same room. Because faith is looking forward to hope. Fear is looking about, this is what's happening today, and there's no tomorrow. So here we find it. He says, therefore, Jesus' own words, I say to you, do not worry about your life. What you will drive, yeah? Where do you will live, yeah? No, no, what is he addressing? He says, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body and clothing, you know, Jesus just sits there and He tells them this. And it, it is so fascinating, so wonderfully fascinating, that if you look at this scripture verse, and you look at disasters happening over the world, where there is either a flood, an earthquake, or anything, what is the first thing they cry out for? Food, water, clothing. It's not as if they go out internationally and say, Look, you know, we've had this flood happening here. There is 5,000 houses just devastated. Can we have 5,000 BMWs shipped over, please? No, no. Or can we have 5,000 gold, you know, bars flipped over, please? No, no. It is those things. Because God knows those are the things that we live upon and we live on. But let's come back to this verse. I've given it out to so many people. And I, I no doubt some of you did as well. But how, how does somebody who's sitting in that situation, hearing the scripture verse, how does that help that person? For so many people say, but preacher, pastor, it's only a scripture verse. It makes me feel good, but it doesn't help me. Have you heard that before? Well, there's a practical explanation here. If you look at verse 31... He says, therefore, do not worry, again, saying, what shall I eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after these things, the Gentiles, remember he's speaking to the Jews here. He's speaking to the Jews. The Jews ought to have faith in the God who called them as a nation. The Gentiles at this point in time when Jesus said this, did not believe in that God. So the Gentiles at this point in time were hopeless. The Gentiles at this point in time worried. There is a reason why I put it out to you like this. Because let's replace for a minute. And I'm not into replacement theology, okay? The church did not replace Israel. But let's just walk this through. The church today ought not to worry. Why? Because we have a God who called us out of this generation. We have a God who called us and saved us from this generation. And we have faith in God. We should not worry. But the people outside of the church, they worry. They've got no hope. 
we do have hope. He says, for these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And when I was a young boy, the Lord saved my soul. This particular scripture verse, I, what is the right word now? Wrestled with that verse? Is, is that coming over right? I wrestled with that verse. I prayed it so many times as a young man. I said, Lord, I understand, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. What things? Well, we know now what things it is. It is food, clothing, water. Yes, the things that God, that you need. It is so fascinating. And again, I come back to the point. There is somebody struggling financially, I don't know, lost a job. You walk over to them, you are full of the scriptures of God, you are full, you, you just go, man, I was sent to you to tell you, open up your Bible in Matthew chapter 6, and you read them these verses. And you close the Bible, and you walk out of his house. And that person sits there, and what happens? Are they still in their predicament? Yes, they are. They are. So how then, Lord, how can the Word then become so live? How do we apply this now? Well, it's right in front of your eyes right today. Remember what happened in the book of Acts. What happened? The people who were saved sold everything and they brought it to the apostles and they distributed it amongst everybody. Isn't, isn't that wonderful? But we've got clear guidance in the Word how it works. How does this work? Well, we open up in James chapter 2 verse 14. And we see that God uses people. Who knows that? Are you surprised by that? How does God use, how does God preach His gospel in the world today? How? Through people. God uses people. Why did God save you? To use you. Hallelujah. Well, that is a big revelation. Wow, I never knew that, Lord. Oh, yes. Why are you sitting in church today, saved by the grace of the Lamb of God? Is it just to sit here and get more knowledge? No, no. God saved you just like He saved those people in the book of Acts to do something. To do something. Now, I'm not saying that now all of a sudden we have to go back in the Old Testament and put yourselves under the law again. He didn't save us to go and f to pick out every single one of those. No, no. He saved us to do something wonderful, magnificent, marvelous, and that is to bear fruit of repentance. That is what it is. Look at this verse. James. In 2.14 he says, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith and do not have works? I've heard so many people preach this and preach it wrongly, okay? And they go, you see, you see, James is saying that we need to do a lot of work. No, no, that's not what he's saying. No, no, what James is saying in this passage here, he says that if you come to the cross, all the work that you do after that will show the people that you have faith in that cross. 
It's not all of a sudden we're going to become a very busy bee church here and we're going to do all of this work and we're going to come together. We're going to No, no, no. All those works, if you do it in selfish ambition, comes to nothing. He says, no, no. Now that you are saved, we will see the faith that you operate in in the works that you do. It's not works before. And it's so wonderful. It's just a different message. But look at this. Follow it through. He says... If someone says he has faith but does not have works, can faith save him? If a brother or a sister, now he comes to our point, if a brother or a sister is naked, in other words, they haven't got clothes, and destitute of daily food so they're hungry, and any one of you say to them, depart, hey, hey, I've got a scripture verse for you. What? Matthew chapter 6, verse 31. I heard my preachers preach that verse. I forgot it underlined in my Bible. Look here. I can show it to you. Have you got your Bible? You open up your Bible. You see? Underline it. Underline it. Yeah, here you go. You know, yeah, it's good. Okay, you've got it now. Okay, see you. Let's pray for you. God bless you. Hallelujah. There you go. Boom. Off you walk. That's what he's saying. That poor brother and sister sits there and they go, wow, this is great. They can't start eating the, the papers, although they are so hungry to tear out these papers and start eating them. You know, while they were sitting there, you can hear their stomach growling for food. And you've got plenty, plenty. But hey, man, I gave them the word. I did my work. This is what James is saying. He says, how is it then? How is it then that if they are naked and destitute and one of you say to them, depart and be in peace, be warmed and filled. But, everybody say but. You do not give them the things which are needed for the body. What does that profit? It's interesting, isn't it? We all can learn a lesson by that. We all can learn a lesson. Correctly. Do not let your left hand know what the right hand is doing. You have to give with love. Now let me just say, I'm not after, we don't preach tithing in this church, so I didn't select this. Praise the Lord, I'm just going through the Bible verse by verse. You can't say, look at that man, he's preaching finances and money in the church. I will never. I will never. Have you heard me preaching tithing in this church? No. No, it's not for me to do that. Did you hear the apostles preaching a tithing message before this happened? It's not there. No, this is the fruit of repentance. In action. In action. Now, just before somebody comes in and say, You see? You see, preacher? This is what I've been saying all along. The church of today should go back to the model of the church of old, and we should sell everything. And I'm going to come to you and say, Where is your house? What is the market worth of that? Come on, tell me. And then I'm going to take all your money and I'm going to buy some land over here and we're all going to move into this commune and we're going to live off the land. And Is this what he teaches? By far not. Anyone who preaches that kind of doctrine, it's a false doctrine out of the pit of hell. They are misconstruing the word of God. No, no. By the way, also these people who come in and they say, I don't have to work now anymore. I can just go into the church giving. You know, I'll just hang around. I know people. I know two people who's doing that. They just go, mate, you know, we're in the church. 
And look what, what they did over here. They sold everything and give. And they come to, I've had over the years people approach me and they, they expect, expect the church to look after them. No, that's not what this teaches. And it's so clear. Because Paul writes, but before I come to Paul, let me just tell you that it was a wonderful thing that happened. When all of these people sold their land and everything and brought it to the church and gave it to the church. But that model didn't work. It failed. What? I never saw Jesus preach that they had to sell everything. Did, did you? Apart from the rich young man, which he was talking to a Jewish young man, which the lesson was about the law, it wasn't about... But listen to this now. When these people came, the, the church was rich at this point in time, and they gave to everybody. How do I find it then later on, if this was the model that we had to operate right through the ages until today? How is it then later on that I find Paul taking you know, things and givings from other people to give it to the church. The church became very poor. Very poor. And this is not a teaching that we should all now resign our jobs and just sit and wait on, on those who can sell their properties. This is not. By far not. This model failed. If you want to put it into a church model. The actions didn't fail. You know, the fruit of repentance didn't fail. But the model, if you want to make it a model, failed. Listen to Paul. He says in 1 Timothy chapter 5, 8. But if anyone does not provide for his own. What does it mean? It means it's still your responsibility to work. Everybody say work. It is still your responsibility to work. If he does not provide for his own. And especially for those in his household. He has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Wow. That takes care of that. Don't come to me now and say we need to change the church to this model. There's no model. Again, I come back. We're preaching through the book of Acts. And you will see that Acts is a transitional book. You will see that the gospel message is the same. But it changes once you come to Paul. And now people come. You've got so many churches who built their church doctrine on the first few chapters of the book of Acts. And that is error. That's not how the churches ought to uh, operate. Now let's look at two men and then we'll pray and have some food. Two examples, two classic examples coming out of this as fruit, the, the, the fruit of repentance in action. Acts chapter 4 verse 36, And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement or consolation, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Let's look at this man. This is an interesting one. Joseph. This name of this man is wonderful, but then you see that the apostles rename him Barnabas, which means encouragement. But there's something interesting about this man. He was a Levite. In other words, he came from the priest tribe. And priests, according to the Old Testament, were not allowed to have land. Go and read it. I'm just saving time here. The Levites, all the land was given out, but the Levites were not supposed to have land. And it just shows you how watered down the laws of the Old Testament became even down to this time. That this man found a way 
a loophole somewhere according to him in the law of God that he as a Levite can own a land. You see, if you want to talk about hypocrisy, they always looked at the priest back in those days as hypocrites. And you ask me, who, who started that? Nobody started that. It was just generally the consensus amongst them that the priests were hypocrites. And who was the biggest call out of all of that? Jesus himself. He came to these men and he says, you are hypocrites. So many. He preaches so many times. Go and read the Gospels. But this man, he had a land. He came out of Cyprus. Now, Cyprus was really interesting. A priest, a Levite, who came out of Cyprus. Cyprus, back in their days, was like a bad nest. It wasn't a good place to grow up in. You had the mix there of the Greeks and their culture, and then you had the Romans who came in and their culture, and it was also part of that Phoenician, uh, you know, the Baal worship and the, the temples and the prostitutions. And, and whether you like it or not, your environment do play a role upon you. It impacts you. If you grow up in things which is a sin, but it's deemed to everybody to be okay, you're going to say it's okay to do. This man grew up in those areas. No doubt he's breaking the law. And if you break the law according to them, what do you do? You sin. He was a sinner. But here is the marvelous thing. He heard the gospel. And he came to the cross. And now we see before, he was a Levite who had land. He, he wasn't supposed to have land. And he came to repentance. And what is he doing now? Instead of holding on to it or sell it and to... No, no, he sold it and he brought it and laid down the, to the apostles' feet. He sold everything he had and gave it to them. You see, if you take this man... And you compare it to the Good Samaritan. You remember the Good Samaritan, the, the story about the Good Samaritan? There was a man who was traveling and the robbers overfell him and he was lying there next to the road. And who came past? A, a priest. The priest came past and he walked on the other side of the road. The priest was supposed to run over and help the guy. And then a Levite came past. And he, he's on his merry way. And then a Good Samaritan came past and he picked him up and he took him. And you know that. So they were seen as hypocrites. So we find this man, and we see how wonderful it is that the work of God started to work in his heart. He's called the son of encouragement. I love that. I want to preach a sermon just on him one day. The son of encouragement. You see, to possess encouragement is to give it, and to give encouragement is to possess it. Think about that. Yes? Think about it again. To possess, if you've got encouragement, you have to give that encouragement. And if you give that encouragement to somebody, that's when you possess it. Think about the sea, for instance. A classic example. This is a good example. The sea. What is happening? The sky, the sun shines onto the sea and condensation takes place. What happens with condensation? It goes into the air. It goes over into the clouds. The clouds blows over to the earth. And it rains all that water which was taken up from the sea. It rains it out here on the land. And then that water runs into the rivers back into the, into the sea. That's encouragement. Brother and sister, instead of breaking somebody down, encourage them. Because I tell you today, a big secret, okay? Just for your ears today. If you encourage people, it will come back to you. 
No, you don't give the encouragement to get it back. You just give it. And after many days, it's like a smile. Yes? It's like a smile. I've done this. I, I went to Vietnam. And I like to go off the, the beaten track, you know, the tourist track. I often like to walk out of that. And, and I don't know if you've noticed, I'm, I'm a tall guy. I'm white-skinned. I've got a bald head. And if you start walking in Asian countries, I don't look like the norm, do I? And then I start walking into these off-roads, and I keep on walking, and then soon you realize there's not a lot of white-skinned people around or other-looking people. I'm standing out, and you see all the heads turn. And you know what I do? I've got the photos. I'll show them to you one day. I go to them. They can't understand English because they're off the, off the beaten track. They speak their own language. I walk over to them. I can speak Afrikaans. I can speak English, German, Fanagalo, Sutu. Any one of those languages, they will go, huh? But as soon as I smile, what comes back? Smile. Let encouragement be like that. This man is so wonderful. He came and he gave that encouragement to the church. He gave everything. He didn't hold back anything. You see, he realized, I give my body as a living sacrifice, Lord, and my possessions in all. But then walks in in chapter 5, verse 1. But a certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. And he kept back a part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, I've heard so many sermons about this, have you? Look at this now. A possession. Did they sell everything they've had? If we go back, there's no A's in this. This man came and he totally poured it all out. Everybody saw it. Everybody saw what's happening. Everybody saw whenever there's a service coming up, people coming and just put it at the apostles' feet. It was no secret. And people were genuinely doing this. They didn't come and say, wait for the camera, wait, wait, it's showing over there. Tell me when it's coming here. Coming. Yeah, it's coming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's good. That's not how they did it. No, no, Joseph didn't do it. But Ananias and Sapphira did it like that. How do I know? Because you see, they had a possession. He says, sold a possession. And, and a certain part was coming to them. And this is it's, it's really amazing because a name carries a character. Ananias means the Lord dealt graciously with him. So everything that he has was given by God. And Sapphira means beautiful. So what's gracious and beautiful should have been a blessing. But it turned out not to be. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land you see yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, is it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men but to God. Let me ask the question, can you lie to God? Come on people, can you? Can you lie to yourself? No, you can't. If you do something and it's wrong, you can convince yourself it's right, but you know it's a lie. Okay? Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. 
So fear came among all those who heard these things. And young men arose and wrapped him and carried him out and buried him. Now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what happened. And Peter answered her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. Then Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead and carried her out, buried by her own husband, buried with her husband. So great fear came upon the church and upon all who heard these things. See, I've heard so many, you know, things about this, uh, this, these words. But it comes back to the fruit of repentance. It comes back to the example of Joseph, and it comes back to now to these two people. Now, let me ask you the question then. Was it really because they didn't give everything to the Lord? No. It wasn't all about that. It is because they set forth and showed people that they gave everything and they didn't. They lied. You see, because Peter is clear. The, the problem wasn't the money here. The problem here is, and he he's asked the question, he says, while it remained, while it was yours, was it not your own? God is not after your possessions. If you wanted to hold on and not sell, God wasn't going to strike you dead. No, no, that is the fruit of repentance. That is what happens. You know, and I've heard people preach the sermon and put fear into people's heart in the church today. God is not a God of fear. No, no, we should fear God with reverence, but He will not put that kind of... People walking into the church so afraid to look into the eyes of the ministers or the leaders of the church. Why? Because they have got this, this great power that the Apostle Peter had to see if you lie or God's going to come down and zap you right there. No man has got that power. And this is not the lesson here. The lesson here is that these people were lying to God. You see... The big problem here is the problem of hypocrisy. They were hypocrites. They were giving themselves forth as of being the same as Joseph, but they were not the same as Joseph. Hypocrisy is, a, is one of the biggest sins in the Bible that God hates hypocrisy. You look at hypocrisy, it's the act of claiming to believe something or to be someone but acting in a different manner. This is one of the sermons that needs to be preached in the church more often. Hypocrisy. This is what these people did. This is why they died. Not because they just give half of their possessions. They sold a possession. I believe if they came to Peter and said to him openly, Hey Peter, we didn't sell everything. But we sold a property and here is all of the... They would have still been alive. Why? Because they would have been honest and truthful. There's no force on them. There were no force to sell everything. These people were operating in the spirit, in, in, in the fruits of the spirit of God. And they tried to manufacture. They had, they had, listen to this, they had strange fire. That's it. They had strange fire before the Lord. If you go back to the Old Testament, they were priests one day who brought strange fire to the Lord. And as soon as they brought the strange fire in front of God, what happened? They died. The same thing happened here. 
Do not come to God with strange fire. Those things you should be, be careful of. Do not come in hypocrisy. One of the biggest problems in the church today is hypocrisy. You see, this is by believing something. Uh, you claim you believe something, but you don't. And you claim to be someone, and you act to be somebody which you are not. You see, the Greek term for hypocrisy is to be an actor. Or somebody who wears a mask. Someone who pretends to be what they are not. And hypocrisy has got many faces. This one here we can see. They were pretending. That's one of the faces of hypocrisy. They were pretending they were waiting for the cameras. Yeah, I'm going to show all the people who were standing there. Go, Ananias, Sapphira. Oh, you are just like Joseph. You are just like the son of encouragement. And you know, I believe there were jealousy in those hearts there when they operated in that hypocrisy. Because they saw the hoo-how that's happened around Joseph. Now, I don't see Joseph standing up there and go, yeah, you know, it was such a big thing. I had all of this land and, you know. No, no, no. He was humble in this. But these people came and they gave it to be seen. Another way of hypocrisy which we need to learn about is to look down on people whilst you are doing the same thing. And the Lord warned His disciples. He says, if your brother has got a speck in his eye, what do you need to do? You've got this big bulk in your eye. Who are you to judge others when you do the same thing? You see, that's part of hypocrisy. This is the big lesson here. You get the, the, the fruit of the repentance, and then you've got the hypocrisy, which is totally opposite of the fruit of repentance. And by the way, you can't produce the fruit yourself. It's not as if you, you see an orange tree there, and you walk past the orange tree, and, and you see those leaves are dark green, and they go... And you go, what's going on? They go, oh, we're trying to push out some oranges. You know, we're trying to... No, no. It becomes natural process. John chapter 15, he says, we are in the vine, yes? And if you're in the vine, guess what fruit you're going to bear? The fruit of the vine. And you can't. Everything else is plastic. If it's not from the vine, it's plastic. I think of a beautiful story I had as a young boy, and I'll quickly tell it to you, and then because I've got, only got one verse. You know, I love grapes. In South Africa, they had what they call Hanapur uh, grapes, Hanapur was really nice, juicy, sweet grapes, Vito. I loved those, man. I could go in, and they were big ones. I don't know if you remember Hanapur in South Africa, yes. So, um, and, and they were big, you know. I could just go there and, and you know, put lots in my mouth. It was so sweet and so nice. Uh, it's like the sumo. Do you know these sumo oranges you get these days? Beautiful. Anyway, I, I digress. So, these grapes, you know, I love to go out and, and get these grapes, and we eat them. You know, I couldn't buy it for myself because it was still in my father's house and we went to my auntie's house one day they invited us for a barbecue and as I walked in I saw these grapes on the table I saw them there as I walked in I said whoa there's those grapes on the table now you know I'm not going to walk over there and take them I would have kept a little bit of hiding you know I, and we were trained you don't go and ask stuff in people's home that's when we were still trained as young children you behave children are seen and, and I walked over there and I thought, man, today I'm going to have these grapes. I'm going to have these, I'm going to have these grapes. I'm going to just have these grapes. I will feel, you know, if my dad keeps me hiding, that's fine, but I'm going to have these grapes. 
And as the adults get, to get together and busy, I went over there and I, I walked up to the table and I grabbed him and I put him into my mouth just to find out it was plastic. So not only that, not only was it not the real thing, I got hiding anyway as well. So that is what it is, you know, trying, trying to, to look down on other people or be something. Look, we know what Jesus, Jesus used this word, but Isaiah said this. He said, therefore the Lord says, and we should listen to this, inasmuch as these people draw near with their mouths. Oh, they sing beautiful. And honor me with their lips. Hallelujah. But have removed their hearts far from me. And their fear towards me is taught by the commandment of men. Oh man, look at this. The, everybody say that. Fear toward me is taught by the. Oh man, that's the problem. That's the problem. But I haven't got time. I ran out of time. But look at this now. You see, Jesus quoted these exact same words in Matthew 15 verse 7. He says the people, they are all together and they're all jumping and joicing and hallelujah and praising and singing. But in here where nobody can see, they've removed their hearts from me. That is what you call hypocrisy. So in ending today, we started off with the church. Beautiful. They came together, they sold everything and gave it to the apostles. Is that what we should do today? That's not what I believe the teaching is today. What the Bible teaches us today is that we need to operate in the fruit of repentance. We need to use the love and decide to love. And if you see a brother and a sister who's struggling, don't just go over to them and say, let me put my hand around you and pray for you. Help them. And if it's in your means to physically help them, help them. Because you're not doing it for yourself, you're doing it for the Lord. He has put you in that position to be able to help those people. And be an encouragement. Because once you encourage people out, it will come back to you. Now we're not doing it to get it back. But we give love. Love is a giving thing. It's not a receiving thing. Love gifts. Are you operating today in the fruit of the Spirit? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word today. Father, it's so true and it's such an urgent message and it's such a serious message. Lord, I don't just want to flippantly walk past it, Lord. We want to spend some time on it and think and meditate on it. Father, thank you that you call this to our attention, that we are not saved just to sit here but we are saved to work in your body. And Father, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, for brothers and sisters who do, who do operate in, this, in, in the fruit, who do choose to love, who do choose to sacrifice, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Father, we know we don't do it for each other. We do it for you. Because the Bible says, Lord, there in Romans chapter 5, that you poured out your love into our hearts. So, Father, when we love, it's not our love that we love with, it's your love which is poured out into our hearts. Go with uh, everybody today, Lord. Go with everybody this week, Lord. I pray your blessing in Jesus.